Amen. Amen. How are we doing, church? Doing okay? Good. I hope you're ready for this. Because I'm not. <laughs> I just got off an airplane a minute ago and came straight here. So uh, uh, I, we, get your Bibles. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're only going to do two verses out of the book of Colossians. But it's in this study that we've been doing verse by verse through the book of Colossians called Before All Things. That Jesus is before all things. And, and now the part that we're hunkering down on is what does it look like for Jesus to be before all things in our marriages. And so uh, I could tell by the laughter we got a lot of married people here. How many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. All right, good. I'm going to fix all your married problems here tonight in the next 30 minutes or so. We'll see. How many of you are single but one day you'd love to be married? Raise your hand if you're single. One day you'd like to be married. Hold them up. Hold them up. All right, look around, look around, look around. Okay, here, Bay Meadows. <laughs> you're welcome. All right, that's our singles ministry for the year. Don't ask again. All right, there he went. So... <clears throat> And, and though I'd really, I honestly, I've been in, I was in Israel for a week, and then I was in Uganda for a week and flew in today to be here, uh, and so, so glad to be here, glad to be back. You'll hear a lot of Africa and Israel stories in the next few months, uh, and so I didn't really prepare very well, but I'll, I have been married for 17 years, and so I do think that qualifies me to teach on this. We're going to pick it up in Colossians chapter 3, verses eight, 18 and 19. Yes. Okay. See? Told you I wasn't prepared. It says this, wives, by the way, every time in the scripture uh, it talks about husbands and wives, guess who it always starts with? The wives. It's always going to start with the wives. You know why? Maybe you've heard this phrase before, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. All right? That's from the Bible. That's not exactly what it says, but that's what it means. All right? Happy, 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 right? Happy wife, happy life. That's the fact because, ladies, you will set the temperature in your home. That's just how it goes. You will set the temperature in your home. This is why the Apostle Paul, every time he talks about husbands and wives, he's going to start with you. Your attitude will dictate the temperature in your house. So he says, wives, one of your favorite verses in the whole Bible. I know it is. I know you got it memorized in three different translations and, uh, you know, crocheted on a, in an Afghan somewhere. I'm sure you do. Here he goes. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, there's a lot here. First of all, let me tell you what it does not say, say anywhere in the scriptures. It never ever says women submit to men. Eh, absolutely not. That, that, that men and women were created equal in the sight of God. Different roles in, at home and at church, but equal in the sight of God. So this does not mean in any way that you are somehow lesser than. I mean, you should, you know, run your company, do what God has called you to do, lead like a boss. Amen. But... Submit to your husbands as is fitting with the Lord. That means there are some ways that are not fitting with the Lord. This does not mean that you put up with abuse. This does not mean that you put up with pornography. This does not mean that you put up with things that are outside of your husband walking with the Lord. But as he walks with the Lord, then you are to submit unto him. And then verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, um, what I want to do, because that's the only two verses you get here in the book of Colossians, you've got to understand that when he writes verses 18 and 19, he's writing it in response to verse 17. And so if you back up to verse 17, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then after that, here's how you do, whatever you do, 
You do it as unto the Lord. And then he gives us three categories that he's going to talk about. And it is our day-to-day living. Here's what it looks like for Jesus to be before all things in your day-to-day life. He talks about your marriage. He's going to talk about how to, like, your parenting and talking about going to work. Those are the three categories he talks about. Now, again, here in the book of Colossians, he just gives two verses. But if you'll flip over to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, then in the same kind of household code that Paul gives here in Colossians, he's going to do a similar one over in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to hang out in Ephesians tonight because um, just a, a Bible study tool for you is always let the scriptures be commentary unto themselves. So instead of just me telling you a bunch of stuff about what I think, let's see what the Bible says about husbands and wives. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we get um, kind of a, a more complete description of what it means to, to submit and to love. So Ephesians 5, and as you go there, um, in our Bibles, you know, we, we use, I, I teach out of the ESV here. Um, and so most modern-day translations, they have, like, you know, the text that's inspired by God, infallible, inerrant. And then they have the little headers up there. And that's just some stuff people made up. So that as you're leafing through your Bible, uh, you can be like, oh, this part's about husbands and wives. Now, when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, over, over verse 22, it says husbands and wives. But I think they put the header in the wrong place. I think the header is supposed to go up above that one verse. Because verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it talks about the same three categories that Paul talks about here in the book of Colossians. It talks about your marriage, talks about parenting, raising kids, and then it also talks about work. And so uh, in Colossians, it's like everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. In Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now let's talk specifically about these types of relationships. And so, if we start in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, that your marriage is not really about you. Now, this is a shocker for an American. What are you talking about? But they complete me. No, they don't. That, that you're, the reason to get married is not because you love them. Okay? You love a lot of things. You should not marry them. You love ice cream and a dog and the Jags three times a year. You know what I mean? I mean, we love some things. But the reason we should get married is to declare to the entire world that Jesus is before all things. And so uh, one of the biggest problems in our marriages is we try to put us in the middle of it as opposed to putting Jesus in the middle of it. And so he starts off with this, submit to one another. Because you're submittable to? No. Every married person here can go, no, not at all. I mean, sometimes they're awesome, but many times they're not. And we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I'll just tell you this. um, If you're here and you're married and you don't know Jesus, I don't know how to tell you to be married. I'm not saying you can't be. There's a lot of non-Christian people that have great marriages. Good job. But what we're going to talk about is what does it look like to put Jesus in the middle of your marriage and act like it? Or to treat your spouse, not even the way you wanted to be treated or the way they deserve to be treated, but to treat your spouse a certain way because of the way Jesus has treated us. And so it starts with this, submit to one another. That a great marriage is built on mutual submission. Mutual submission. Not just because it works, but because of what Christ has done for you. I mean, you want to just kind of make your brain explode? Do you know why that we should submit to one another? 
It's out of reverence for Christ because Christ submitted to you. The almighty sovereign king of the universe who is before all things. Who all things were created by him, for him, through him, and to him. He made your deal bigger than his deal. Here's what I mean. He stepped down out of heaven. Where the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never stopped singing that. He pressed pause on that and came down to this earth and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself, made himself a servant, even, even obedient unto death. And he went to the cross. And he endured the full wrath of God that we deserved for us and he submitted himself to us he made our deal our eternity bigger than his deal at the cross and so because of that we are to submit to one another again a really good marriage is just means it, it means two people that are submitted to one another or another way to say it is a really good marriage is just a really good friendship you know who you're really good friends with you're really good friends with the people that care more about you than they do the friendship. You're really good friends with the people that care more about you than they care about themselves. Now, you have really great, like, acquaintances that you just have fun with, but you'll never reach, like, a depth of friendship with people that always make it about them, right? And so a, a really good marriage is really just rooted in a really good friendship. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then... Verse 22 starts with the wives. And it's going to tell wives to do some things. And then when we get to like verse 25, it's going to talk to husbands about doing some things. Now see, when the Bible talks about marriage, the Bible talks about it in covenantal kind of language. If you've ever been to a wedding, you have heard um, a, a, a bride and a groom take their vows or make a covenant. And what a covenant is, a covenant says, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, regardless of how you act, this is what I promise. I promise to love you. I promise to honor you. I promise to respect you if for better or worse. For rich or poor, for in sickness and health. That's what a covenant is. A covenant says, no matter what you do, here's what I promise I'm going to do. It's rooted in God's covenant with us. God says, regardless of what you do, I'm going to make this covenant with you. That I love you so much, I'm going to send my only begotten son to die on a cross for you. That's what covenant love is. Most of us walk up into an altar getting married thinking covenant. Because we don't know any better. Then we get married. And it immediately goes to contract. And a contract is if then. A contract says if you take out the trash, then I'll tell you you're awesome. Whatever it is. If then. All right? And the, and the moment you move from covenant to contract, the first thing out of the door is intimacy. That's the first thing that leaves. You see, and here's how, like, you already know this to be true, right? Um, when's the last time you got a handwritten love note from your HOA? Dear homeowner, <laughs> we just love you and care about you and your children. No. When is the only time they send you any kind of notification? 
when, you, when you're breach of contract, right? One of your blades of grass got taller than the others, and, you know, they're going to freak out because the home prices are going to go down, and they freak out, okay? Well, that's what, that's what a lot of times is wrong in our marriages because instead of having these covenants, regardless of what you do, here's what I promise I'm going to do, we go contractual, and they're just if-then statements. And again, it always starts with wives. It always starts with you because if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. The Bible says this, Proverbs 12, 4. Ready for this, ladies? I really wish. Here's, here's the thing, too. Let me, just, let me just challenge everybody here, okay? You just really got to hear and apply the part to you, okay? Husbands, if you leave here and you start quoting wife verses, it's over, bro. Shut your face. You're dumb. You didn't get it. You need to come back to every service, okay? So you just got to, this part's written to the wives. So fellas, get on Facebook or, you know, do whatever you do right now. Don't listen to this part. <clears throat> but wives, tune in. Uh, Proverbs 12, 4 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So here are the two categories, wives. You'll either be the crown or you'll be cancer. That's it. You will either be the crown of your husband or you will be like rotting bones from the inside out. In just a second, it's going to say submit. The opposite of, of submit in the scriptures is a word in the Old Testament called nag. And the Bible has a lot of uh, warnings about what it is to be with a nagging wife. It does. It says things like um, a, a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. Drip, drip, drip. At first you think, that's not that bad. But, but, but then you find out oh, uh, ancient civilizations used this as war crimes against other hardened soldiers to extract secrets from them. Drip, drip, drip. I'll tell you anything, all right? Uh, <clears throat> the Bible says it'd be better to live on the corner of a roof than to live with a nagging wife. And nagging just means um, to correct in an annoying way. And you think, well, I'm just trying to tell him what's right. And he's like, where are you going, baby? I think I'm going to go live on the roof because, you know, I get some peace up there. Or my favorite one, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, uh, it's better to die in the desert than to be married to a nagging woman. Think about some of the things that happened in the desert in the Bible. Israel was lost there for 40 years and a whole generation died. It's where Jesus came face to face with the devil, all right? And, and God Almighty says, okay, if you, if you got the option to, to go out into the desert, meet the devil face to face, die of dehydration, and have the vultures eat out your eyeballs, or marry a nagging woman, I'd go with the vulture eyeball eaters, okay? <laughs> Ladies, you set the tone. You just do. It says, wives, and here it is. I know your favorite verse in the whole Bible. Wives, submit to your own husband. Again, it never says women submit to men. But it says, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Here's what the word submit means. It just means an invitation to lead. That's what it means. We're going to get to it in a minute about what it does not mean. And we can figure this out by what the Bible commands husbands to do. And I, and I know, I know some of you, man, when you hear this word, you think, where are we? This is why I quit going to church because, I mean, what century are you from? And I think what you're actually bristling up against is not what the scripture is talking about. What you're bristling up against is some kind of caricature of the 1950s or leave it to beaver or where some churches and men have really abused what these things mean. Submission just means an invitation to lead. And it tells you why. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. 
The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Ladies, let me tell you something about your husband. Um, he was created to lead. And he's going to lead something. And let me tell you where, what he's going to lead. He's going to lead where he feels competent to lead. A man's leadership is like a water balloon. You squeeze it on one side and all the leadership will just run to the other end of the water balloon. And if you nag him what you have told him over and over and over via phone call, voicemail, and text, is you have told him you are incompetent to lead. You're not doing this right. And submission is to lay down the reins and be like, you got this, baby. Okay? And if you ever wonder why some men pour their life into work or pour their life into a hobby, it's because those are the environments where they feel competent to lead. In fact, at work, they pay him because they, they say he is competent to lead. And, and if the brother's been knocking it down um, and you wonder why he doesn't want to come home from work, I'm telling you, they, they're created this environment. He's got a name tag. He's got his name on it with assistant manager. They give him evaluations. Good job, Ted. Here's a raise. He walks into the room. He says, do things. And people say, yes, sir. And they do things. And then he comes home and he says something. And I'm like, whatever. And they go back to PlayStation, Okay. And so part of what your job is, is to make your man feel competent to lead at home. Because he is going to lead something, and he's going to lead where he feels competent to lead. It goes on to say, verse 24, the Bible repeats itself. Now, as the church submits to Christ, okay? Because here's the deal. I get this email. Uh, I don't get it as much anymore because I tell people how dumb it is, so they quit sending it. Uh, Sometimes I'll get this email, it's usually a very, a, a woman's been in an evangelical church for a long time, usually fresh out of like a Beth Moore Bible study, and she's awesome, but, but with this kind of thing. Pastor, I need my husband to be the spiritual leader in my house. To which I reply, I need you to read the Bible, okay, because, here's why. The Bible nowhere says that the husband is the spiritual leader of the house. It just says he's the head. Spiritual leader is one subcategory of headship, okay? He just is, positionally. He, he's either a good one or he's a bad one. It's like the president. If you hold up a sign that's not your president, he's still your president, okay? It doesn't matter. Unless you change citizenships, then he's not anymore, all right? The same thing is true at home. And, and the last one was our president, and the next one will be our president. Positionally, they're just the president. The same thing's true in your house. The husband is the head of the house, period. He's either a really good one or a really bad one or somewhere in between. And so... It says that you submit to him as the head, just like you do to Jesus. For instance, we don't vote around here every month to see if Jesus is still the senior pastor of our church. He just is. And in the same way, the husband is the head of the house. And so verse 24, it repeats itself. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So if you're wondering, do I submit to my husband in this area? Well, this is how you check it, scripturally. Does that thing fall into the everything category? If it does, the answer is yes. Really, the only caveat is in Colossians, as is fitting to the Lord. So we're not talking about abuse here and those kinds of things. You see, and, and here's why. Here's something you, don't know, you may not know about your husband. Every man in here, every man in here is created with this fundamental question deep in our soul. And here's the question. Do I have what it takes? 
Do I have what it takes? And we've been trying to prove it our entire lives. It's why, we, it's why we played sports or played in the band or whatever those things that we tried to do when we were growing up. And when we were little boys, we tried to impress our dad. Even if he wasn't around, but we were trying to impress our dad. And then you came along. And, and every man in here, we're just a bunch of scared little boys, and we're really afraid that you'll find out that we, that we don't have what it takes. And then you came along with your pretty hair and your good smell, and we just bowed our chest up, and we tried to prove ourselves to you. Because fundamentally, what we're trying to do is answer the question, do I have what it takes? And God has put you, wife, in his life to be an echo of the truth of the gospel that God has given every man in Christ what it takes to do whatever God has called him to do. And so, this is why he wants to impress you. Listen, man, I have the opportunity to speak to a whole lot of people and literally around the world now. Do you know, I really just care what Gretchen thinks first. Still, we will have theologians here at our church. Whatever. I just need her to be like, baby, that was good. Even if she's lying, that is irrelevant. <laughs> Now, let me tell you the problem. Ladies, here's your problem. You're a daughter of Eve. And that's the problem. You see, Eve was created as a helper, a helpmate. And that means, so she was, it's not good for man to be alone, right? It's not. He'll burn the place down. And so we need help. And so God creates Eve with a desire in Eve to help. And then at the curse, if you read it in Genesis chapter 3, there's this weird little phrase in there where God tells Eve, um, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And you're like, well, what's wrong with if she desires him? That word desire in Hebrew means like um, a desire for his position or a desire to overthrow. So here's how this plays out in your world. You think you're helping. And for him, it feels like a hostile takeover. And it could be just a simple thing, like you're at the barbecue and you're telling a story and you're like, hey, hey guys, remember uh, a couple years ago, it was 4th of July and we were at the beach and your wife's like, whoa, 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 let me help you, dummy. Uh, it was actually Memorial Day and we were in the mountains. And you legitimately think you're helping. And to him, it doesn't make him feel like the man. It does not answer that fundamental question, do I have what it takes? Actually, you just confirmed in him, you do not have what it takes to tell a story, let me take over and tell it the right way. You see how the enemy can just work? And so um, if, I could, if I could just have my own translation of the word submit, because I know submit isn't a very popular word today, but neither is staying married. When the Bible says wives submit to your husband, it basically just means this. Wives, if you want to know if you're doing a good job with this, here's what it means. A wife that submits to her husband as unto the Lord makes her husband feel like the man. The way she talks to him, the way she talks about him, the way she treats him. That's fundamentally that God has put you as the loudest echo in his life to say, in Christ, you have what it takes to do everything that God has called you to do. So wives, I, I dare you to ask yourself this question. I mean honestly too. Do you mostly correct or cheer? Do you mostly correct or cheer? Because what he needs from you is for you to be his biggest cheerleader. This is what this is talking about. This says, this, the Bible doesn't say anything about who should cook or clean or change the oil in the car. You, you are smart adults. You can figure out how to do chores together so that you can live together indoors and make sure the bills are paid, etc. 
What this is talking about is how, how God has created men fundamentally and that it is not good for us to be alone and how you can come in and complement and supplement what God wants to say deep down in our souls. In Christ, you have what it takes. And ladies, I know you want to help him and he needs your help. But do you know what he needs to hear from you, to know from you before he's ready and willing to hear all the helpful ideas that you have for him? He needs to know two things. This is what submission means, too. He needs to know, number one, that you think he's the man. And number two, that you were on his team. And the moment he knows those two things, then he has ears to hear all of your brilliant ideas for him to be a better version of him. So years ago, I've told you this a thousand times, but it's the, the best illustration I've ever experienced. Years ago, me and a couple pastor buddies of mine, are on a, on a trip to the other side of the world. And uh, we're on our way back home. We've been gone for a long time, a week or more, you know. And, man, you know, when you travel and you got a family, you miss them like crazy and you call them and all that stuff, and, and you just can't get home fast enough, you know. Like once you're done with whatever the thing is you're doing, and it's go day, man, you just can't get home fast enough. And so uh, you guys know this, that, that if you're coming to Jacksonville, everything goes through Delta. I mean, everything goes through Atlanta, right? You can't, like, when we die, we're going to have a layover in Atlanta before we go to heaven. I mean, that's just how it's going to go. <laughs> and so we're coming from the other side of the world, and so we got to, like, check our bags and go through customs and all of that, which I did today. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so we're doing that, and there's three of us in the group, and, and our bags don't make it, and we can't get them through customs before our next flight's taken off. And so we call our, we call our wives at home. All three of us do. We call our wives. Now, these two brothers of mine are godly men, pastors, like conference leader kind of guys. They go, people pay them money to invite them to come in and speak to crowds of people. And when they speak, people write stuff down. These are very, very competent men, okay? They are grown. They dress themselves all week. I mean, all of those kinds of things. And so they call home, and they're just like, hey, listen, uh, you know, you can, and you can hear the conversation. Like, you can always tell when a dude has his wife trying to, you know, it's kind of like, hey, man, like, I know, babe, but, you know, that, that thing's going on. <laughs> and I can hear both of them say, listen, the bags didn't make it, and da, 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 we're going we're gonna to miss our flight. We're going to miss our flight. And so you could just hear immediate instruction coming through the phone. <laughs> well, did you drop it off in the right place? Well, I'm pretty sure I dropped it off in the right place. There wasn't a lot of options, you know. They didn't, they didn't one, wasn't one line called wrong place, one line called right place. I think we did that. You know, it's just that kind of... Now, honestly, what did the wife, they just wanted to help. They just wanted to help, but it just sounds like a hostile takeover. Now, Gretchen and I have only talked about this about 10 million times, okay? <laughs> so I call her. Hey, babe. Uh, you know, coming through customs. Our bags haven't made it. Our next flight's taken off. It's Atlanta. You got to get on a train and a bus, and it's crazy to get from here to there. I don't think I can make it. And here, here's what I heard. She goes, and she was just breathing in the daughter of Eve, so it wouldn't come out. She wanted to tell me what to do so bad. Here's what she said. Here's what she said. I love and miss you so much. What are you going to do? That's what she said, okay? All she was saying is, you the man. I'm on your team. And you know what I said to her? I don't know, baby. What should I do? <laughs> That's what I said, okay? I don't know. It's not good for man to be alone. And, 
And in that moment, all that was, that was submission, that was, that was just laying down the reins, an invitation to lead. I'm on your team, and I know you have what it takes. That's what she was saying. Wives, submit to your own husband uh, as unto the Lord. Now, then it goes to verse 25. It talks to the husbands. Now listen, don't look at the Bible, okay? Look at me. Don't look at the Bible. <clears throat> if you didn't know what it said, if you hadn't already read ahead, okay? Now husbands, you can tune back in. You can tune back in, all right? Uh, you would think, because it says wives submit, you would think like kind of the, the, the counterpoint to that would be like husbands lead or husbands, you're the dictator or the boss or the, you know, it actually never says that anywhere. It says husbands love Husbands love. Now think about this, okay? I, I know you might think these verses sound crazy. If you're new to Bible study, you think, gosh, what is this? How, how outdated is this? Well, the, the part that seems outdated and offensive to us is the part to the wives about submitting to their husbands. But you back this thing up 2,000 years when a woman could not, uh, she couldn't testify in court, she wasn't a citizen, she could not own property. I mean, it was a really brutal time to be a woman in, in 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, Right? You know what Christianity brought? Nothing elevated the position of women in history like the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only, it is the only world religion that says, no, 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 no. In Christ, there is no male or female. That we are all equal before Almighty God. So in the first century, you would read, wives submit, be like, of course, what choice do they have? And then you get this part. You know what the radical part was when Paul wrote this down? Husbands, love your wife. He's like, really? I thought she was just like a baby maker. Or uh, I would marry her politically so I could join our lands together or for the dowry. And then I could just use her up and divorce her, treat her like a commodity. And the gospel is like, no, 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 no. That is not how it works. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Fellas, you want to do a, you do a quick little uh, exercise this week? Why don't you just keep a little notepad on all the ways Jesus has loved us as his bride? I mean, think about this. He pursues us, right? And does he wait until we get all dolled up, or does he pursue us first? He pursues us first. That he takes responsibility for everything, even things that aren't his fault, especially things that are not his fault. For example, sin. Jesus takes responsibility for our sin, and sin was not his fault. And he showed up to the cross, and instead of being right, he decided to be the Savior. You can jot this down, husbands. When you fight with your wife, you got two options. You can be right, or you can be a husband. Those are your two options. Being a husband says, I'm going to love you like Christ loved the church, and I'm going to take responsibility for everything that happens in our home, regardless of whose fault it is. Because, again, Jesus took responsibility for our sin, and it was not his fault. He could have decided to be right. He says, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm perfect, you're a sinner. I'm going to heaven, you go to hell. But he didn't. He went to the cross on our behalf. That he pursues us, he takes responsibility, and he goes first. Remember, he is before all things. Husbands, a bunch of us, a bunch of us can have the tendency to get our feelings hurt because we didn't get something, get what we wanted, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, and then we pout like little children. And we quickly go into a contractual kind of relationship, and we go, if then. Well, if she, then I will. Is that how Jesus loved you? 
Doesn't Romans 5, 8 say that God demonstrates his love for us and this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? You know what that means? That means that he went first. And you know what our call is, fellas? Our call is to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I've had guys ask me, so how, long, how far am I supposed to take this, Joby? You take it all the way to the cross. Yeah, even if it kills you. But what she takes advantage of me? Isn't that what we do to Jesus? What if she mistreats me? Isn't that what we did to Jesus? What if she lies to me? Isn't that what we did to Jesus? But the good news is, is your, your vow just said till death do us part. So then the worst thing that happens, you die and then it's over. Okay, you go to heaven, you're not married anymore, all right? So you're out of it. And some people say to me, you know, especially after I, I, I preach on, on marriage, they're like, listen, man, I've seen your wife. And, and you know, the Bible says... You know, husbands love your wife, and she looks very lovable, okay? She's super pretty, sings Jesus songs a lot, and a great mom, and I hear you talk about her all the time, but you don't know my wife. She ain't walking around the house singing Jesus songs, all right? She spits lava out of her mouth, and puppies catch on fire and die, okay? That's what happens <laughs> in my home. Maybe. You chose poorly. I don't, you know, that's tough. But how does Jesus love his bride? Unconditionally, relentlessly. He just never, ever, ever gives up. Husbands, this is how we are to love our wives. And also, um, something that we talk about theologically all the time around here is that uh, the gospel does not just justify us, but also sanctifies us. In other words, Jesus didn't just pursue you under your salvation, but he's also pursuing you under your, uh, under your sanctification. He never quits pursuing you. Husbands, a lot of times we treat our wives like you do, a, like a deer, like, you're all hot and heavy on them at the beginning, right? Figuring them out. You study them. You got the face paint on, hanging out in bed, bath, and beyond. But like, hey, girl, what's up? You know, like, get, you, you, you hunting. <laughs> Figure out the seasons. Take them out. I mean, you're just like the best version of you ever until they say, I do. And then you don't anymore. And you mount them, put them on the wall, and just ignore them for the rest of your life. Wonder why there's a problem at home. You know, we rarely have marriage problems. We most often just have gospel problems. We just constantly reminded ourselves of how Jesus loves us and constantly pursues us and never gives up on us and always goes first. So it is a high, high calling to be a husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You're like, all right, what does that mean? Well, does it mean that you're the spiritual leader? Yeah, because that's one of the subcategories under headship. But guys, are you, are you creating the kind of environments whereby your wife can be all that God had called and created her to be? Do you know when, when God put Adam in the garden, he said, subdue and cultivate. <clears throat> A lot of us, again, we're good at the subdue part. But are you cultivating are you creating the kind of environments whereby your wife can be discipled, that she can grow? Are you doing those kind of things? And, and listen, you don't have to be a theologian to wash your wife in the water of the word, especially if you're an 1122-er. You know what we do each and every week? We show up here, and for an hour, we just open the book. 
And I read a verse and say, here's what it means. And I read a verse and say, here's what it means. And I read a verse and go, that reminds me of a story. And I tell a stupid story every single week. You know what you could do? Let me just tell you, here's a crazy idea, husbands. You could write something down. And then later in the, and this is just for your own, I don't even mean your own spiritual benefit. I'm talking about for your marriage. You could, you could just write a thing down and then wait till like Wednesday at dinner and be like, hey, baby, what did you think about when Pastor Joby said that the gospel wasn't just for our justification but for our sanctification? And she'll be like, oh, my God, he's a theologian. So hot. That's what she'll do. Or, fellas, why don't you, do you pray for your wife? We talk about, anytime I talk about this, this is, the, this is the go-to one, man. This is not hard. If you can, a parrot could do this. You go to your wife, you hold her by the hand, baby, how can I pray for you? And she's going to say stuff, and you just go, dear God. And then you just literally just say the stuff that she just said. And then say, in Jesus' name, Amen. And you're going to open your eyes, she's going to be crying. And then you're going to think, oh, what, 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 what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. You did it just right. Pray for your wives. Have conversations about the things that we do around here. And so, here, in my opinion, this is what I think is happening. When Paul says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, this part is written to husbands. And I think most husbands look at this and be like, I, well, I don't, what does that mean? It goes on. It gets more complicated. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And again, I think most husbands are like, what in the world does this have to do with me being married? And so Paul's like, okay, okay, okay. Let me, let me boil this down with you and give you an example. This is what I mean. Verse 28. In the same way. In other words, I'm about to explain those complicated sentences with some plain sentences because that's what we need as husbands. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, or no one has ever hated his own body. Now, wives, just to remember, this is written to husbands. It's not saying wives, uh, no wife has ever hated her own body. Every wife hates her body. That's a part of, I don't know what's wrong with y'all, you know. You'd be like 106 pounds. You'd be like, I just got, when I bend over, they will get a line here, and I've got too much elbow. I'm like, what is wrong? What are you talking about? Dudes are the exact opposite. Have you noticed, ladies, that your man does not even resemble the guy you married 20 years ago, does he? It's not even, it's like an ancient Cro-Magnon relative of him. But still, he can get out of the shower and catch a reflection and be like, still got it. I just love it. I mean, just love it. I resemble that, Mark. So, so here's what he's saying. Verse 29, for no one, no man, is what it's talking to me, and no man has ever hated his own flesh. In, in other words, um, guys, when you, the day you got married, the day you got married, you had been living on your own for however many years. And at that point in your life as a single man, your last day of singleness, you were an expert of you. You were an expert at taking care of you. You knew what you wanted. You knew what you liked. You knew what you needed. And nobody had to tell you. If you were just driving down the road in your truck and you got thirsty, did anybody have to tell you you were thirsty? No, you just knew intuitively, I'm thirsty. And do you know what you did? You did something about it. 
You didn't have to ask permission. You didn't have to get, you just did, you pulled the truck over and you walked into the convenience store and you got you something to drink because you knew you were thirsty and you always got what you like to drink because you know you. Peter says it this way. Peter says, husbands, live with your wives as unto knowledge. Become a student of your wife. You put that verse together and what Paul's saying here, he's saying this. You know how you, know, you knew how to take care of your own wants and needs? Your new job as a husband is to learn to take care of the wants and needs of your wife. That you study her, you become a student of her, so that you know her just like you know yourself. And I know husband's like, yeah, but pastor, it's complicated. Yes, yeah, real complicated. Okay. Not only is it complicated, but every day you wake up with kind of a different version of your wife, right? It's like, it's like, it's like spinning the wheel of fortune. Like, come on, happy, happy wife. Come on, baby. Come on. I'm not sure if the stars are aligned or pray the Jabez. I'm not sure what it is. You just wake up. What do we get? Okay, there we are. All right, that's what we're working with today. <clears throat> Whatever. Yeah, she's complicated, man, no doubt. So is fantasy football. You figure it out. <laughs> you, know, you know what men learn? We learn what's important to us. I mean, there's some of us around here, we figure out when the turkeys gobble and when deer walk around and what seasons. Some of you know when waves are coming. You understand? <laughs> you figure stuff out. Figure out the Dow Jones, all right? That's what you're into. Well, what happens is when, you, when you're figuring out, you know, what the barometric pressure is going to do for your hunting trip or your fishing trip, or when you figure out the, uh, exactly how to hit a golf ball so it doesn't slice off to the right every time, and, you, and you're not studying your wife that way, you begin to devalue her, and she actually thinks that little white ball is more important. You know why? Because that little white ball is more important. And so our job, a way to love our wife the way Christ loved the church is this, is to live with her unto knowledge, to learn to take care of her wants and needs like we've learned to take care of our own. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You see... A big part of the way that we love our wives is we nourish them, we, we provide for them, and we cherish them. We protect them. We provide for them, and we protect them. In the book of Timothy, Paul says this, a man that does not take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. What does that even mean? What happens to unbelievers? They go to hell. And then Paul's like, yeah, but then there's like a basement of hell where the furnace is, and that's where this other brother goes, okay? You see, listen, fellas. A girl wants to marry a man and make babies, doesn't want to marry a baby and try to make him into a man. And the definition of love of a husband to a wife is provision and protection. And so the call on our life is this. The call on our life is to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for us. You See, listen, gentlemen. Every girl in here has been created with this fundamental question deep in her soul. And it's a part of the image of God that God put in there. And the question is this. Am I lovely? Am I valuable? It's why my seven-year-old puts on little dresses and comes and twirls in front of me because she just wants her daddy to say, you are beautiful. 
And she lives in a world that tells her if she's not beautiful, she's not lovable. And the standard of beauty is impossible. Even the girls can't keep up with their own pictures thanks to Photoshop, etc. And deep in her soul, she has that question, that fundamental question, am I valuable? And we know in the cross, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. The gospel tells every person in here, but specifically women, tells you, you want to know how valuable you are to the Lord? He was willing to pay with his own blood to purchase you. And so husbands, you want to know uh, how to know if you are doing your job as a husband? Your wife gets a no-compete clause in your world. In other words, she should never feel like she has to compete with anything else in your world. Because you are loving her, you are providing for her, you are protecting her, and that she feels, she's like, listen, yeah, I know my husband has dumb friends. For sure, that's part of being a man. You get some dumb friends, make yourself feel better. I know my husband has some dumb hobbies. That's just part of what we do. You got to have a few dumb hobbies. Uh, if you're married with kids, you get one hobby. Choose wisely, okay? And so you get, you get that one hobby. But, but when you're doing this thing right, she would say, yeah, but I never feel like I'm second place to those things. Now, here's our problem, fellas. Uh, you don't get to tell her how to feel. You don't get to tell her how to feel. And when she gives you feelings, I learned this one the hard way, do not respond with facts. They're irrelevant in that moment, right? Because uh, here's an example. Uh, Gretchen gets off the phone with her mom. She's like, I always feel so bum, you know, when I talk. And I'm like, so why do you talk to her so much? That didn't work out good. Feeling? Facts. See how that goes? Don't do that. So Gretchen should say, you know, I just feel like uh, you haven't been paying attention to me. We're like, whoa, 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 well, you're wrong. Let me tell you, here's 10 ways, that th things that I did. I ran it through my man grid, and I don't feel that way, and therefore you shouldn't feel that way. That never works out the way I want it to. So <clears throat> what it looks like for husbands to love their wives and to answer that fundamental question in your wife's heart is this, is do you feel valued by me? He goes on to say, verse 30, because we are members of his body, verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Husbands, a part of the way that you love your wife is this, is that when the day you got married, your parents became your extended family. Your new family is you and your wife. And then uh, you don't start a family when you make babies, you start a family when you get married. And then God only adds to that family if he decides to, however he decides to. And so there's a lot of people that get married, but they never left their father and mother. That's a different sermon for a different time. No elbows, please. And he says this, verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Yeah, yeah, but it does not have to be. Fellas, I dare you to ask yourself this. How are you doing? How are you doing in loving your wife like Christ loved the church? And let me give you one big warning. You probably think you are doing much better than you actually are. So you should ask her. Like, like sometime tonight would be great. Or sometime this week to say, all right, so how am I doing? Here, here's something, the best way I can figure out how to say it. Because I can preach a heck of a sermon on loving my wife like Christ loved the church and just not apply any of it at all. And yet, in here, man, I love my wife. I mean, like, it, it, I don't have words for it, how much I love her. And when she does not feel loved and does not feel valued, I'm like, what is, it, I, I can feel it in here. It's like turning around in here. How is it not making it there? 
That's a legitimate conversation, fellas, for you to go to her and say, I want you to feel like the most valuable thing in my world, second only to Jesus. And so how's that going? Because I'm trying, or maybe you're not trying, and, but I want to be trying. Can you give me a couple clues there? That's a legitimate conversation to have to say, so how am I doing? So he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church, verse 33. However, he's going to sum up the whole thing. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. The whole thing boils down to this, love and respect. Love and respect. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, other places in the Bible say wives should love their husbands. Here, Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, fellas, what they need is they, they really, they, they want your respect. And here's what I mean. Um, as a man, what we really want is to be respected more than anything else. And here's why, man. Everybody, everybody says they love you. You know, grandma loves you. Your English teacher loves you. The dog loves you. My daddy used to say, you want to really see who loves you? Put your wife and your dog in the trunk of your car, ride around town for an hour, open up the trunk, see who's happy to see you, okay? <laughs> I would not advise that. I just think it's funny. <laughs> so ladies, let me, uh, so fellas, listen. <clears throat> if, you're, if you haven't reached out and, hold, and you're not holding your wife's hand at, by this point, you, you really missed an opportunity. Go ahead and reach on over and grab her hand, okay? And girls, let me just tell you what's going to happen, okay? If he's, got, if he's got two brain cells working together in tandem up there, this week he's going to realize, he's going to realize, uh-oh, I've been slacking. I've been slacking. I have not loved her like Christ loved the church. I mean, he pursues me. I haven't been pursuing her. And he's going to start saying stuff or doing stuff or offering to take you out. Whatever you do, don't thwart his, you understand? The Holy Spirit might be trying to do this thing in your marriage. And he's like, hey, baby, you want to go out tomorrow night? Don't be like, the only reason you're doing that is because Pastor Joby said, no, stop. Just drip, 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 stop. Don't do that. Okay? I mean, the best way I know how to explain it, whatever little thing he does, it could just, it, no matter what, how, if he just opens the jar for you, just Hercules, Hercules, that's what you do. Because we are a simple creature. This is why. See this? Wives, you only got like three verses. Because that's it. We, we really are like puppies, okay? Pet us, feed us, say good boy. That really is about it. You are very complex. That's why we have these paragraphs about, about how we are to, to love you. But it just boils down to this. It boils down to love and respect. So here's the point. We started this in the beginning. Your marriage is not really about you. It's not about you. Your marriage is about declaring that Christ is before all things. That the reason that you submit to one another is not because you're submittable to, and not because you're going to get this thing right, but because you have this reverence for Christ. So with Christ in the middle, wives, your job is to make your husband feel like the man. Husbands, with Christ in the middle, your job is to make your wife feel like the most valuable thing in your world. And so, I just ask you this. In your marriage, is Jesus before all things? And if not, what are you going to do about it? 
The book of James says, be ye not merely hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Martin Luther, when he wrote the first of 95 theses on the wall of the church that kicked off the Protestant Reformation, it started with this, that the life of the Christian is that of daily repentance. You know what a part of what it means to declare that Christ is before all things in your marriage? Is what a bunch of us need to do is confess and repent. It's just look at your spouse and say, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And then repenting is doing what your words just expressed. That you're going to do some things different. And if you're waiting on the other person, I'm telling you, there's going to be some people, you're going to get in the car and be like, well, you want to say something? Then you miss the whole thing. <laughs> you miss the whole thing. And so one of the greatest ways to declare that he is before all things Just ask, is he? Is your marriage declaring that he is before all things? If not, what are you going to do about it? Where do you need to confess? Where do you need to repent? In just a little while, we're going to close like we always do. We're going to sing. We're going to bring our tithes and offerings, and we're going to pray. Husbands, this would be an incredible opportunity for you, maybe for the very first time or the first time in a long time, to bring your wives to the altar and just pray over her. Just pray. The good news about doing it now, the band's so loud, they can't even hear what you're saying. It, so it's, you just pray. God hears it, she won't. It'll be awesome, okay? Or do you need to, on the way home, do you need to look at your husband and say, I'm so sorry. Because I think I've been more like a cancer than a crown. I think I've been too much correcting and not enough cheerleading. And husbands, do you need to go to your wife and say, I'm really, really sorry. I've been treating these other things, work, hobbies, other people. They've they've been out of order in my life. And I need to repent. I need to change direction. I need to do some things differently so I make sure that you can experience what's going in in here for you. Some of you, some of you feel like your marriage has got no chance. Well, I got good news. If the tomb is empty, anything's possible. There's a girl on staff sitting in the front row right there. First time she ever came to 1122, I was preaching on marriage. Her and her husband were, at that point, were on the brink of divorce. On the, and, the, and you know what a lot of people will do? Because some of you are in this boat, and you're like, how does he know? I just know. And you think, oh, we'll give church a chance. And they showed up. They hadn't talked or laughed together in months. And they come and sit down, and I'm talking about being married. And at the end of the service, I said, husbands, reach over and grab your wife by the hand. They hadn't held hands in months. And so, just I guess not to be embarrassed, he reaches over and they held hands. They walked out to the car at the end of the service. And they said, man, that was pretty good. They were not walking with the Lord. Again, it was a train wreck. If you would have asked them in that moment, you think this is going to make it? And they said, there's no way this is going to make it. And they said, maybe we'll come back next week. Not because they thought Jesus was wooing them. Here's what they said. That was funny, and it's free child care. That were their reasons. (laughs) Now they're disciple group leaders. He's a deacon. She's on staff. They're walking closely with the Lord. You know why? Because if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. If, If Jesus can be resurrected from the grave, then your marriage can be resurrected. But here's your only chance. It ain't three communication techniques that's going to make it happen. It's if you are submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ.
If you would please stand and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you because you love us first. God, you know exactly what it's like um, to be married to someone who's not doing their part. Because Jesus, you are the, the great bridegroom and the church is the bride. And, and most often, God, we are a mess and you love us anyway. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move throughout this church, throughout this entire weekend, and that you would just wreck our lives in the best way possible. God, you would just turn our marriages upside down so that they would look a lot more like you and a lot less like this world. Lord, I pray that we would just lay down our expectations and our wants and our rights. And Lord, we would lift high the cross and that we would submit to one another out of reverence for you. Holy Spirit, would you do such a work among us that other people, friends and family members and co-workers, they would see our marriages and say something is different. Something is just completely different. And what they would see is that our marriages would not be declaring our attempt at our own happiness, but it would be declaring that Jesus Christ is before all things. And we pray this all in the good, strong name of Jesus. Amen.